Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, in 2001, I had the wonderful opportunity to go to Africa to teach stewardship to the United Methodist Church of Mozambique. The first Sunday I was there, I attended worship in one of the neighborhood churches. The official language in Mozambique is Portuguese, so most of the time I didn't have a clue what was happening. So I relied on the Holy Spirit and the attitude of the people to help me know how to respond. In the middle of worship, suddenly a big, jubilant party broke out. I didn't know what was going on, except to know that it was really good and exciting and joyous. I looked behind me and I realized that the reason for the celebration was it was time for the offering. And the people in that congregation were responding with gratitude and enthusiasm at this opportunity to give back to God. Even though I was supposed to be there to teach stewardship to the people of Mozambique, the people of this third world country, the people whose average income is $45 a month, the people who often struggle to have clean drinking water taught me a lot about giving. Our giving to God shouldn't be a burden but a blessing, a blessing born out of our gratitude to God and a product of our trust in God. You know, I think a lot of times when we think about our scripture today, we imagine a poor, pitiful widow out of obligation giving her last two coins. But after being in Mozambique and seeing what giving should look like, I don't think it looked like that at all. I think the widow couldn't wait to get to the offering plate and to put those last two coins in with joy in her heart. And she gave thanks, gave thanks for the opportunity to give back to God. Our giving doesn't come from altruism or philanthropy. It comes from the transforming work of Christ in us and through us. Our giving is the natural outflow of God's presence in us. In fact, 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, Your giving proves the reality of your faith. Your giving proves the reality of your faith. Our giving is the natural response to the grace of God working in and through our lives. We are generous by God's grace. And so in that sense, our giving is limited more by our ability to receive God's grace than by our ability to give. One of the greatest passages on giving in all of Scripture is 2 Corinthians 9.15, which ends not with congratulations for your generosity, but thanks be to God for this indescribable gift, the gift, the gift of giving back to God. I think the widow understood the blessing, the blessing of giving, the blessing of trusting God more than her her pocketbook. How about us? How about us? 
If Robbins had announced today that someone had already given every single dollar that we needed for 2019, so we didn't need you to give, how would we have reacted? I think perhaps most, if not all of us, would have cheered and been relieved. And yet as wonderful as it would be to know that the amazing ministries of Dolphin Way United Methodist Church could continue and even grow, what a blessing we would be missing. What a blessing we would be missing to not have this opportunity to give back to God. Giving is one of life's greatest blessings. And I stand before you today as a life that has been so blessed through giving, so transformed through giving. You see, giving was my biggest obstacle to the fullness of God's grace and love. I found it easy to turn my life over to God as long as I kept control of my checkbook. For most of my life, I worked hard in school and my career to succeed, and I saved as much as I could. I was building a secure financial future for myself, I thought. But my need for financial security began to take control of my life. I would set a savings goal and reach it, only to find that that goal wasn't quite enough for me. So I would set another goal and another goal, searching for that, someplace, that place somewhere out there where I would find the financial security that I longed for. The Romans had a proverb that I certainly found to be true. Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. The world fills us with if-onlys. If only I had a nicer home. If only I had more income. If only I had a better job. If only I had more savings. Then I could be happy. Then I could be secure. What I found is that the world's if-onlys, they don't bring lasting meaning, purpose, and joy. They just bring more if-onlys. Several years ago, the people of my little church were asked to give above and beyond our regular giving to buy a new church van. As I prayed about my commitment, I knew in my heart what God wanted me to give, but I didn't see how I could afford to give that much. So I wrote down the amount that I knew I could afford, not the amount that I knew in God in my heart that God wanted me to give. I gave based on fear for my own financial security, not faith and trust in God. I walked out of the church that day in tears. I knew I had let God down. God had given me his very best, and I'd given God my leftovers, the spare change of my life. I had failed to take advantage of a wonderful opportunity to trust God and to express my gratitude to God for all my many blessings. My little church did manage to raise enough money to buy the van. Although I contributed to its purchase, that van became for me not a symbol of my love for God, but a symbol of my failure to respond to God's call. Whenever I saw that van, and of course, they had to park it right at the front of the church, so I had to see it every time I went, I was reminded of my unwillingness to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to trust God. I recalled how I declined God's invitation to grow in my relationship with God. 
I remembered God's sacrifice for me and my faithless and ungrateful response to that sacrifice. But our loving God is a God of second chances. A few years later, I was given another opportunity to contribute to a campaign at my church to build a Christian life center. This time, I was determined to give based on faith and trust in God and out of the spirit of gratitude for all that God has done for me. I did struggle with the same doubts and insecurity. I prayed for God to give me the faith to make the gift that I knew that God was asking of me. God is so good. My gift not only made a difference for God in the lives of others, but it changed my life. Nothing, absolutely nothing, other than my initial conversion has been more transforming in my life than my giving to God. I have never been so joyful since I made that step in faith. Through giving, my relationship with the Lord has deepened and my trust in God's love for me has increased a hundredfold. According to Martin Luther, three conversions are necessary in the life of every Christian. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the pocketbook. It was not until the conversion of my pocketbook that I felt the fullness of God's grace and love, and that is what I wish wish for each and every person in this room. As you've heard from Robbins, this is a critical time in the life of Dolphin Way United Methodist Church. Dolphin Way United Methodist Church makes a difference, doesn't it? You can make a difference. You can make a difference by giving today and completing an estimate of giving card to solidify your commitment. Through your gifts to Dolphin Way, you can help ensure the ministries you love The ministries that make a difference to so many people can continue and even grow. You've had an insert in your bulletin for the past couple of weeks. On the page with the blue arrow is the question, where are you? Where are you? So where are you in your giving? Are you someone who hasn't been giving? Won't you grow in your relationship with the Lord by not only beginning to give, but by making a commitment to give, by filling out a commitment card? Are you someone who has been giving, but it's time to grow in the blessing of giving by making a commitment to a percentage of your income or moving up in the percentage you give? What percentage of your income do you give? What percentage of your income will you commit to give in 2019? We need everyone to give and to give more. How can you help? Are you a tither? Someone who gives at least 10% of your income back to God through Dolphin Way? Will you continue to do so? Or will you step up to be one of our extravagant givers?
like the widow in our scripture, who is giving even more than 10%. If you hear anything I've said, please hear this. The ministries of Dolphin Way need you. The ministries of Dolphin Way need you. Let's all follow the example in our scripture today and give the very best, the very best we have to offer, knowing that not only will the ministries of this great church continue, but that we will be blessed ourselves through giving back to God. I'd like to close today by reading a beautiful story from the book Chicken Soup for the Senior Soul. Chicken Soup for the Senior Soul about the joy of giving. I'll never forget Easter 1946. I was 14, my little sister Osi was 12, and my older sister Darlene was 16. We lived at home with our mother, and the four of us knew what it was like to do without my dad. Dad died five years before, leaving mom with no money and seven school-age kids to raise. A month before Easter, the pastor of our church announced that a special holiday offering would be taken to help a poor family. He asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. We got home and we talked about what we could do. We decided to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on them for a month. This would allow us to save $20 of our grocery money for the offering. Then we thought if we kept our electric lights out as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on that month's electric bill. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and both of us babysat for everyone we could. That month was one of the best of our lives. Every day we counted the money to see how much we'd saved. At night we'd sit in the dark and talk about how the poor family was going to enjoy having the money the church would give them. We had about 80 people in the church, so we figured whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday, the pastor had reminded us to save for the sacrificial offering. The night before Easter, we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we wouldn't have new clothes for Easter, we had $70, $70 for the sacrificial offering. We could hardly wait to get to church. When the offering was taken, mom put in a $10 bill and each of us three kids put in a $20 bill. We sang all the way home from church. At lunch, mom had a surprise for us. She had a dozen eggs and we had boiled Easter eggs with our fried potatoes. Late that afternoon, the minister drove up in his car. Mom went to the door, talked with him for a moment. Then he came back with an envelope, in it, and then she came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope, and out fell a bunch of money. There were three crisp $20 bills, one $10 bill, and 17 $1 bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk. We just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling poor. 
We kids had such a happy life that we felt sorry for anyone that didn't have our mom and our late dad for parents in a house full of brothers and sisters. We thought it was fun to share the silverware and see whether we got the spoon or the fork that night. I knew we didn't have a lot of things that other people had, but I never thought we were poor. That Easter day, I found out we were. The minister had brought us the money for the poor family, so we must be poor. I thought I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress and worn out shoes and felt so ashamed. I didn't want to go back to church. Everyone there probably already knew that we were poor. We sat in silence for a long time. Then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we girls went to school and came home and no one talked much. Finally, on Saturday, Mom asked us what we wanted to do with the money. What did poor people do with money? We didn't know. We'd never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church, but Mom said we had to. Church, we had a missionary speaker. He talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of sun-dried bricks, but they needed money to buy roofs. He said $100 would put a roof on a church. The minister added, can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? We looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached into her purse, pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me and I handed it to Osi. And Osi, she put it in the plate. When the offering was counted, the minister announced it was a little over $100. The missionary was so excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church. He said, you must have some rich people in this church. Suddenly it struck us. We had given $87 of that little over $100. We were the rich family in the church. We were the rich family in the church. Hadn't the missionary said so? From that day on, I've never been poor again. 2 Corinthians 6.10 As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, without you we were poor, but now we are rich indeed. Thank you for all the blessings of this life, for our families, for our friends, for our church family, but especially for the gift of your Son, who gave himself completely for us. Help us, O oh God, to love you with our whole heart, and to give ourselves completely to you. Help us to give so that the difference that is made by Dolphin Way might continue for generations to come. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.